actually have family doctors who are trained outside of Canada who aren't able to practice family medicine in British Columbia. Now on the news hour, relaxing the rules around foreign trained physicians. The province's plan to boost its beleaguered healthcare system with doctors trained abroad. Plus, the weather's obviously getting colder, damper. We needed to have done this years ago, but like, let's take the initiative now. Let's find ways to get it happening. An innovative solution to combat homelessness, but what's taking so long? The multi-million dollar promise made years ago that still hasn't been delivered. And we felt that there was just not enough information for the public to understand whose land we're on. The truth behind what's holding up a reconciliation fight in Richmond, the ongoing lawsuits and the teachers taking on the city. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. In his second Sunday announcement since being sworn in as Premier, David Eby focuses sights on the province's beleaguered healthcare system today, specifically how to give it a major boost through foreign trained doctors. As Grace Key reports, the rules for physicians trained offshore are now being relaxed. That's why we're taking action to get more internationally trained doctors off the sidelines and into clinics where they're so desperately needed. At Richmond General Hospital, the province made an announcement to address the shortage of family doctors. Almost a million British Columbians don't have one. That's 20% of the population. Today, we are expanding the Practice Ready Assessment Program. This will make it easier for family physicians trained internationally to be licensed to practice in British Columbia. The program will triple from 32 seats to 96 over the next two years. About half of the current 32 seats are reserved for rural and remote areas for three years. An anesthesiologist who practiced in Iran for 13 years before coming to Canada says there are still barriers. They require two years of postgraduate training in family medicine and uh, most international medical graduates uh, do a maximum of one and a half years of postgraduate training. That's still a barrier. In a few other provinces, they accept one and a half years of internship. Another change, international medical graduates may qualify as associate physicians. The new class allows them to care for patients under the supervision of an attending physician at an acute care facility. On the associate physician side, there will be some, right now, some 300 doctors in BC who don't meet current standard, who can meet the standard of an associate physician. That gives us an opportunity there. And changes will be made to allow doctors trained in the U.S. for three years to practice family medicine by January. What I find troubling is it would appear the government's held off making these decisions so that David Eby can make them. And that, to me, is very troubling given the challenges in the healthcare system if they're playing politics with public health. Work is also underway to allow international medical graduates to start the accreditation process before they arrive in B.C. And over the coming months, associate physicians will be able to work in community-based primary care settings. Grace Key, Global News. And with more on today's announcement, and to break it all down for us, let's bring in our Victoria Bureau Chief, Keith Baldry. Keith, it's been a busy week for David Eby, but today's announcement was his biggest one yet in regards to health care and actual tangible action. 
Yes, indeed. So this is all part of an ongoing transformation of the human resources situation in healthcare. We've seen a lot of announcements. We had that big deal with the doctors, a big uh, contract agreement that really increases pay for family physicians. One of the questions that came up today, okay, it's one thing to streamline a program, but one of the criticisms with foreign trained uh, professionals is that they had to go through a very arduous bureaucratic system. Health Minister Adrian Dix today pointed out, though, back in the spring, it was the nurses who went first in terms of getting bursaries and more training spaces and more internationally trained nurses to practice here in BC. And according to Dix, it's working quite well for that profession. You're quite right. People get discouraged in this process. And does it work? It's working for nurses right now. We understand the success of what we announced in February in terms of breaking down the barriers for internationally educated nurses is significant, in particular the triple track initiative and the uh, bursaries that have been put forward that have reduced the cost of that. We've already seen that that success and be happy to share some of the um, information on that for nurses. We believe that these changes will have the same positive effect uh, for doctors. Okay, and it's almost hard to keep track of all the big announcements and the billions of dollars in spending announced over the past week, Keith. Are there any more to come? What do we need to know? Oh, there's going to be lots more to come, Sarah. So David Eby announced he was going to have 100 days of action. And we're only, as you say, a little more than a week into it. Uh, so all sorts of things are still coming our way. Keep in mind, of course, Selena Robinson, the finance minister, tabled a quarterly report last week that showed the current budget, rather than being a $5.5 billion deficit, is a $5.7 billion surplus. $2 billion of that has already been earmarked. But you can be sure David Eby will be taking a close look at that big surplus and figure a way to give more money out and spend more money, because if it's not spent, it goes against the debt. And it starts again tomorrow, tomorrow afternoon, David Eby, Advanced Education Minister Kang, and Health Minister Adrian Dix will be at the SFU campus in Surrey tomorrow afternoon for yet another announcement, this one involving more training spaces for health professionals. Okay, more to come on Monday. Thanks so much, Keith Baldry and Victoria. It felt a bit like deja vu this morning on the heels of another windstorm overnight as thousands of British Columbians found themselves waking up in the dark this morning. A special weather statement was in effect for Metro Vancouver and the Fraser Valley and parts of Vancouver Island, bringing wind gusts of up to 80 kilometers an hour. At the peak of the storm, some 7,000 customers across the Lower Mainland and the Sunshine Coast were without power. It could have been much worse in Port Moody, where this massive tree toppled overnight. The good news here is no one was injured. And the same system that brought all that wind to the lower mainland dumped heavy snow in other parts of the province, leading to traffic tie-ups on mountain passes. Taya Fass got some first-hand experience of the epic highway holdups. Following an intense winter storm, drivers along southern interior mountain passes were met with dangerous conditions and lengthy delays on Sunday. Because when we did get finally moving, we waited about 45, we, we were stopped for about 45 minutes. Several vehicle accidents forced the closure of the Coquihalla in both directions between Hope and Merritt. Drive BC first reporting a jackknife semi-truck near Larson Hill. And one traveler said they drove past multiple trucks on the side of the highway. All these semis on the side of the road were chaining up and there was a highway's person walking, checking tires. The chaotic commute, all courtesy of a cold front. We did see upwards of 20 centimeters along the Coquihalla. Allison Pass were included within that. And with heavy snow in the forecast, this isn't the end of the intense winter storm. Through the evening hours on Sunday, the concern will be along the connector. An additional 5 and up to 15 centimeters is possible. A nice break for all the mountain passes will be on Monday. That'll be the travel day. But a heads up, we do have the next weather maker moving in. We're looking at the potential for widespread snow, a 
significant amount will start to pick up for the southern interior for Tuesday afternoon and continuing into Wednesday so far. A winter storm warning remains in effect for the Okanagan Connector and drivers should be prepared for quickly changing weather patterns. We were prepared and we have a, a ram truck with good tires and we have water and food and blankets. Uh, but yeah, you have if you're going to drive the Coquihalla, you have to ha- bring stuff along because uh, you don't know. TFS Global News. And it appears the snow is not finished with us yet, even in Metro Vancouver, as we inch closer to December this week. Meteorologist Yvonne Schell joins us now once again with a preview of what we can expect tonight and for tomorrow morning's commute. Yvonne, that's a big question. Yeah, and a big heads up, a winter will arrive this week, and I'll show you why in just a moment. But we are just tracking some showers. It'll be cold enough overnight tonight and in towards tomorrow morning. We'll be hovering the freezing mark that we could see some wet flurries. It won't be much in terms of accumulation. So for the morning commute tomorrow, a few wet flurries and then it clears out quite quickly. But this is the big heads up. Special weather statement has been issued. It blankets much of the island along the Sunshine Coast, Howe Sound, Whistler, and extending in towards the Fraser Valley. And the heads up will be the potential for snowfall. Widespread snow picking up as early as the afternoon hours. This will be Tuesday, leading in towards our Wednesday. That could impact the commute for the evening hours. And then we are going to see a bit of a transition. And the concern as we get in towards Wednesday will be even the risk of freezing rain for the Fraser Valley. So we are looking at the potential for snow Tuesday leading in towards our Wednesday and then we won't be out of the clear just yet we've got the potential for a couple of more snow days I'll have that coming up very shortly Sarah okay thanks Yvonne we'll see you in a few minutes it was a provincial budget promise made nearly three years ago to create a pair of navigation centers or enhanced shelters with round-the-clock supports for people experiencing homelessness. One of them was expected to open in Vancouver a year and a half ago, with a second to follow on Vancouver Island. But 18 months later and still nothing is operational, leaving the province's homeless staring down another long winter. Kristen Robinson reports. With the situation only getting worse in the downtown east side, Vancouver is still waiting for what was billed as the country's first navigation centre, a 2020 budget promise from the BCNDP. It's desperately needed with the the, the tents along Hastings Street and the encampment in Crab Park. Those aren't sustainable. They're untenable. We need to get better solutions. You have a hot shower and there's, there's great food to eat. The enhanced shelter system accepts partners and pets. People can bring their belongings and stay 24-7 while receiving on-site supports as they navigate to more permanent housing. San Francisco has eight navigation centers, and the city says they've been successful in reducing unsheltered homelessness and connecting people to the social services and housing help they need to stabilize their lives. It's like a little alcove against all the bad out there. The second of BC's two 60-bed navigation centers was to open in Nanaimo where the city's mayor says up to 900 people are living on the streets. Nanaimo is desperate for a navigation centre, and we hope that the requirements will be adjusted to make sure it can happen and happen quickly. We've been waiting a long time. We need it, but most importantly, the vulnerable people in our streets need it, and the people who are affected by their behaviours need it. The province says it's committed to providing a total of $9 million to allow each centre to operate for three years and blames the delay on securing suitable urban sites in both cities. We'd hoped we would be, uh, they would be open by now, uh, but we haven't been successful in finding the right location um, and making sure that it had, you know, the right size, the right zoning. These are all sort of, um, I say, bureaucratic challenges. With a very visible crisis not getting any better, the province says teams are working with local governments 
to get the navigation centers up and running. I know the province is committed to this. I know as a city of Vancouver, we're committed to this. The weather's obviously getting colder, damper. We need to have done this years ago, but like, let's take the initiative now. Let's find ways to get it happening. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Five federal ministers convened in Vancouver today for a major announcement. Among other things, it involved creating closer ties with India. David Aiken reports. There's a generational global shift happening. Many in Canada agree and have been calling for years for a reset of Canada's approach to the Indo-Pacific. Certainly this is a good thing. It's a long overdue yes, but... What I've seen in there is content rich and it's backed up by dollars. So the intentions are are pure. I think what matters now, David, is we're able to convert actions, uh, sorry, those intentions into actions and those actions into actual achievements. The growing economic importance of Asia's Pacific countries is one thing, but this new Indo-Pacific strategy is mostly motivated by China's rise as a global actor and its advancement of unilateral claims, foreign interference, and increasingly coercive treatment of other countries. And so, Canada will deploy more naval forces and other military assets in the Pacific, beef up its cybersecurity infrastructure, and diversify supply chains. We will engage in diplomacy because we think diplomacy is a strength. At the same time, we'll be firm. The government believes one of the best ways to deal with the rise of an aggressive China is to strengthen relations with like-minded countries in the region, especially India. Canada will begin trade talks with India that might lead to the kind of free trade deals Canada has with the likes of Japan and Korea. It will boost academic and cultural exchanges. And Canada promises to beef up visa processing capacity in India, specifically in New Delhi and Chandigarh. We've got to address that because it is, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a black mark uh, on you globally if you can't help get the people in that you're trying to recruit into your country. And so we've got to fix that. And to do all this, the government is prepared to spend billions on these combined initiatives spread out over the next decade. David Aiken, Global News, Ottawa. A candlelight vigil has been held for the 18-year-old fatally stabbed outside of Surrey High School last Tuesday. Friends and family gathered outside to Manawa Secondary this afternoon to remember Mahek Sethi. A 17-year-old was arrested in the case. Police say the two knew each other but have released few other details. The family is calling for justice. Everyone is supposed to die, but not right this, not like this. He was, he was just 18 years old. He didn't deserve to die. So we have gathered right here to find justice and to seek justice from RCMP for my brother who died at the age of 18. Counseling has been made available to students impacted by Seti's death. Homicide investigators continue to appeal for witnesses in the case. A coroner's inquest into the death of a teen at an Abbotsford group home two years ago is set to start tomorrow in Burnaby. Trayvon Desjardins died alone in a bedroom closet in September of 2020. The 17-year-old's body was not discovered until four days after he was reported missing from his group home. 
Desjardins was under the care of the Fraser Valley Aboriginal Children and Family Services Society, an agency delegated by the Ministry of Children and Family Development. Family representatives say his death was deemed a suicide, so the police investigation was closed within hours. A coroner's jury will hear evidence to determine the facts surrounding Desjardins' death and be able to make recommendations aimed at preventing similar deaths in the future. Two elementary school teachers are in a battle with the city of Richmond to advance truth and reconciliation. That includes everything from land acknowledgement to greater cultural awareness. But as Travis Prasad explains, one of the holdups involves a number of ongoing court cases. In cities like Vancouver, there's a short yet meaningful way of recognizing B.C.'s colonial history. We are honoured to be holding this uh, ceremony on the unceded territory of the Musqueam, Squamish and Tsleil-Waututh nations. Oral land acknowledgements are a show of respect to Indigenous peoples. The city of Richmond sits on traditional Musqueam territory. The school board and district recognizes that. So does YVR. But at City Hall... There's no mention of that anywhere on the Richmond website. Uh, The city council meetings don't start with the land acknowledgement. It's why teachers Elisa Magnin and Catherine Myers launched an online petition calling for the city to adopt a truth and reconciliation policy, one that would include written and oral land acknowledgements and an annual event to recognize Orange Shirt Day. We want change and we think that we're a little bit behind the eight ball compared to other cities in our area. So Yeah, we don't feel like what we're asking for is unreasonable because we've seen other cities do this. Good afternoon. The teachers presented their petition at a November 21st committee meeting. Council has voted in favour of establishing a truth and reconciliation policy, but it could take months or longer for final approval. I'm already planning to ask staff about the timeline, now that they've had a couple weeks to have received that referral, when and what are they planning on doing in short order. When it comes to giving land acknowledgements, Councillor Michael Wolf says the city is hesitant because of ongoing lawsuits, including a years-long dispute with the Musqueam Nation over the Garden City lands. I think it's been an, a very convenient excuse for the council thus far, and we're really hoping that they can think creatively and timely about uh, how to move our city forward. Mm-hmm. Richmond Mayor Malcolm Brody declined our request for comment. The teachers, now hoping residents will join them in the push toward reconciliation. Travis Prasad, Global News. Well, it may not have been the result Canadians were hoping for, but nonetheless, fans packed theaters and bars across the country to cheer on the red and white in Qatar this morning, including right here in B.C. Fans were up bright and early to watch Canada's World Cup match on the big screen at the Hollywood Theatre in Vancouver. Watch parties were also held in places like Port Coquitlam and Aldergrove, home to defender Joel Waterman. They had a lot to cheer about when former Vancouver Whitecap Alfonso Davies scored Canada's first ever goal in the World Cup less than two minutes in, but it was all downhill after that as Croatia scored four unanswered, eliminating Canada from the World Cup with one game still to play. It didn't dampen the spirits of fans, though. Many just happy to watch Canada on soccer's biggest stage. I mean, I wasn't expecting it so early on in the game, but, but then, you know, it just happened so fast. 
uh, it was a great cross by I think it was Buchanan if I'm not wrong, and then Davies put the header in. It was I don't know how to describe it. It was it was it was crazy. Oh, it's exhilarating. They finally scored a goal, first time in what like 30 years. So that was fantastic. I was so happy to be here today for the two minutes because it just felt like everybody was wanting the same thing, and so being able to watch Alfonso Davies just head that thing right into the corner of that net was unbelievable. Canada is now eliminated, but we still have one more game left, taking on Morocco on Thursday morning. Coming up, a perfect partnership pairing refugees with empty housing. Now we can do anything we want to do. We feel a big freedom for us that we can express ourselves here in Canada. New homes set to be demolished are being lived in and loved by those who desperately need them. Woolmates reunited after a lifetime apart. The emotional reunion of long-lost twin sisters. Six decades in the making. That's coming up a bit later in the show. Stay with us. Well, it seems like a perfect solution. Dozens of empty Vancouver homes slated for demolition, being used to temporarily house Ukrainian refugees who desperately need them. Kamal Kermali had a chance to meet one of those families and hear their story. With every warm meal, this house is starting to feel more like a home for this family of Ukrainian refugees. We really like this home. It was the love from the first second. After a harrowing escape from Mariupol, they came to Canada in August. Desperately in search of a place to live, they found this home. This home is very comfortable. It's huge and it's good for our big family. So how was this big home available for this big family? It was sitting empty, slated for demolition. Bought by a private developer, it's one of several lots set to become a six-story housing complex. But construction won't begin until at least a year from now, allowing these refugees to live here in the meantime. Developers really like it because it means the home is being used until until the end of its life. Life, that you are able to accommodate families. It's really good for street fronts to have people living in homes instead of having them boarded up, which you would see a block away. So far, a team of organizers have been able to pair 10 Ukrainian families with private developers who have homes sitting empty during the pre-construction phase, helping families find some consistency in a year full of chaos. They would be able to uh, get the children to school and also getting an employment, getting the language training and be able to settle in a location and in a community that they can call themselves, uh, you know, a part of the community. The Udina family now have at least a year inside this home, giving them enough time to get back on their feet. Now we can do anything we want to do. We feel a big freedom for us that we can express ourselves here in Canada. Thanks for for this house. With another 15 families set to be housed in January. Kamal Karamali, Global News. Rallies in support of Afghan human rights have been held in cities across Canada today, including Vancouver. We are here today to stand in solidarity with women in Afghanistan. A small crowd gathered on the steps of the art gallery speaking out against what they say have been increasing examples of violence and injustice against Afghan women. They say the issue has grown to crisis levels since the Taliban takeover in May of last year. Rally organizers are calling on the Canadian government to take action. Coming up, almost unprecedented unrest in the streets of China. 
Protesters push back against communist control in a bold uprising that is only intensifying. Plus, it's safe to say that he probably did something pretty stupid to wind up in the water. A remarkable survival story, 15 hours in the making. The wayward cruise passenger who was lost and then found at sea. That's after the break. Stay with us. Welcome back. A remarkable story of survival now about a cruise passenger whose vacation ended with a splash and a search and rescue mission. He somehow fell overboard and he wasn't plucked from the ocean until a very long 15 hours later. This was the moment the Coast Guard spotted the missing Carnival cruise passenger after he vanished from his ship in the Gulf of Mexico. He wasn't going to make it much longer. He did say that once, um, but then... uh, Kind of difficult to hear him after that. Lieutenant Travis Rea was the rescue pilot. Unfortunately, most cruise ship passengers, when they go overboard, they don't survive, let alone an entire day and without right. a flotation device. How do you explain that? It's just a, a miracle that he was able to survive that long, almost 15 hours in the water with, with no flotation. Carnival Valor left the port of New Orleans Wednesday afternoon. Around 11 that night, Carnival says the man was last seen at a bar with his sister. He went to the restroom but never returned. He was reported missing Thanksgiving morning. Fellow passenger Whitney Gaines tells NBC News she overheard a family member saying the crew kept calling out the 28-year-old for vaping in non-designated smoking areas. The ship retraced its route but had to continue on to Cozumel, Mexico. The passenger was spotted by a mariner who notified the Coast Guard. A rescue swimmer helped the fatigued passenger out of the water. He was suffering from hypothermia, dehydration and shock. It's safe to say that he probably did something pretty stupid to wind up in the water. Carnival says the only way to go overboard is to purposefully climb up and over the safety barriers. Survival expert Thomas Coyne says for people who do survive, there's usually a motivating factor. They have a family, a wife, a husband, a child, a mother, maybe even a dog at home that they feel like they have to get back to. I'm sure you'll never forget this one. I won't. That's that's for sure. It's it's unbelievable. A miracle. Many are giving thanks for this holiday weekend. Dana Griffin, NBC News. Protests in China continue to intensify days after a deadly fire engulfed an apartment block, trapping residents and killing at least 10 people. Dramatic video shows protesters pushing barriers, shouting for the government to end the lockdown imposed in August. People living in the building say strict COVID restrictions made it difficult to escape the flames. Several major cities, including Beijing, are experiencing a surge in cases and are ramping up construction of quarantine facilities and field hospitals. Coming up, stocking up and giving back to four-legged family members in need. We knew there was a need. Um, We were not prepared for the number of people that have been coming by. Food banks for people aren't the only ones seeing an influx in customers this season, where pet food is also flying off the shelves. That's after the break. 
Well, will there be snow? That's the big question as we head into the first week of December. Yvonne Shell is here with our full forecast and all of the answers as usual, Yvonne. Yeah, Sarah, we've got a couple of chances for snow days. Any of the kids that are listening, their potentials there. We've got a special weather statement. Be prepared, though. It looks like we'll have winter driving conditions for many areas, and we'll anticipate that leading in towards the south coast and even at sea level. First off, though, we've got a few isolated showers. It's spotty out there this evening. A few heavier pockets are possible. It'll be cold enough. Overnight tonight will be down to the freezing mark so we could see some wet flurries overnight and then transitioning and a nice clearing is on the way so it'll be very brief in terms of the precipitation i anticipate as we get in towards the afternoon tomorrow we've even got some sunshine up to four is the high the average sits at six degrees and this is a nice break in between systems before the winter is winter conditions are arriving heads up though if you're traveling along the mountain passes we've had a significant amount a nice break if you're planning on traveling along the mountain passes will be for tomorrow the connector however still this evening could see an additional five centimeters before it starts to taper off to flurries. We are looking at that wave of snow as we get in towards our Tuesday. So I've put the future cast into play. It could be potentially widespread. It'll pick up for the afternoon, continue through the day, and then a bit of a transition as that temperature warms up once again will be towards our Wednesday. With the transition, though, we could see, even see the potential or the risk of freezing rain extending in towards the Fraser Valley. Putting this into play again, a bit of snow possible on Thursday, and then another chance for widespread snow will be on our Friday. So we've got a couple of chances for snow, but let's focus on our Tuesday 1st and continuing in towards our Wednesday and that's what we're seeing the special weather statement extend extending a swath of it right across the south coast much of the island sunshine coast extends in towards Howe Sound Whistler and the big concern for the Fraser Valley will be that changeover where we could see the risk of freezing rain so be prepared for Tuesday that's the best chance that we could see some widespread snow and that'll be our first chance this week the northern half of the province the outlook for Monday we've got sunny skies a bit chilly though for the central interior Overnight tonight, minus 13, and then through the day, only getting up to minus 10. Isolated flurries for higher elevations if you're planning on traveling along the mountain passes. A nice break between systems. Tomorrow's the travel day if you want to be along the mountain passes. Along the island, we'll see those breaks in there. Some sunshine in the mix, much of the lower mainland also. And then we're tracking it. So Tuesday afternoon, leading in towards our Wednesday. Chance to see some widespread snow. It'll be cold, chilly throughout the week. And then another chance Thursday, leading in towards our Friday so far. Sarah? All right, Yvonne, thank you. It's a busy time of year for food banks, for people, and one charity is also making sure that people can get food for their four-legged family members as well. The Animal Rescue Thank Dog I Am Out hosted their third annual holiday food bank for cats and dogs and other kinds of pets this weekend. With grocery prices and living expenses going up, the group wants to help out families struggling to make ends meet. It's giving out free pet food since many food banks doesn't accept it. The group says the response has been overwhelming. We knew there was a need. Um, we were not prepared for the number of people that have been coming by all three locations. Uh, the response has been amazing, just grateful, just totally grateful. It helps a lot with the pets. Uh, everybody with the inflation and stuff like that, everybody can use a little bit of help feeding our animals. That's a great idea. And speaking of positive responses, Barry DeLay, how are we feeling about 
this morning's World Cup. Feeling here. great at about eight oh one when yeah. Alfonso Davies scored. Until eight oh two, we were For, feeling really precise good. Precise time. Yeah, precise know, time. <laughs> Timestamp. Yeah. I have to say, it's uh, it's so fun watching that young team play. Obviously, uh, they didn't win. They lost four one to Croatia, but they they play as they say a very pleasing style to watch. A lot of the best teams, especially in these big World Cups and championship games play very defensively, and I suppose that's effective, but it's not that fun to watch. Mm -hmm. The Canadians are so entertaining. Uh, Unfortunately, they fall, but they did score their first ever goal, as you mentioned, with Alfonso Davies. We'll show you some highlights and hear from the Canadians who are disappointed that they only have one more game left. They cannot make the playoff round. But the Canucks are playing very well, and they're playing right now in San Jose, and we'll have early highlights of their game as well. Okay, sounds good. It was an awesome game. You're right, Mm -hmm. Barry. Okay, coming up, a booming business that's all in the family. It's something that's really bridged the non-Indigenous and the Indigenous community together. And they just seem to relate to it on a whole different level. The design house that started small and is now booming in popularity. We'll take you behind the scenes after the break. Stay with us. This is BC with Jay Durant is brought to you in part by Van Cam Freightways. BC owned and operated for 75 years. A family business on Vancouver Island is building on its indigenous heritage and incorporating elements of modern pop culture to create a booming business. Jay Durant now on This is BC with the family matters behind Totem House Design. Aaron Brillen's company started out small, just a couple of designs printed on some t-shirts. But now Totem Design House has grown into a much bigger family enterprise. I'm obviously more on the business side. My husband's more on the artistic side. My brother's on the artistic side. They just opened a new store in the Comox Valley. We have our own line of um, luxury soy candles. Everything from fine art to jewelry to the widely popular pop culture indigenous designs. It's something that's really bridged the non-Indigenous and the Indigenous community together. And they just seem to relate to it on a whole different level. A lot of non-Indigenous people who perhaps wouldn't wear Indigenous apparel. They see it and they recognize, you know, the iconic look to it. Aaron's husband, Andy Everson, came up with the designs. He's always been inspired by his grandfather, Chief Andy Frank, who built the big house that still stands on the property to share the stories of the Comox First Nation. Something that our people would be able to use for cultural celebrations. And also, it was his vision to bring in the public as well so that the public would be able to understand about our culture. Totem Design House continues to expand its profile and has grown into a successful established business in the community. We're employing Indigenous people. We're 100% Indigenous owned and operated and just constantly um, dealing with suppliers that are locally based while creating incredible art that shares the history. So this is kind of a new way of doing it. More than six decades after the big house first started welcoming people. What we see is for the work that we do now is just a continuation of that legacy that my grandparents left us. Jay Durant, Global News. And if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC that people just need to know about, email your ideas to jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. Coming up, Barry's back with the World Cup game we might not be ready to talk about yet. Plus... The Canucks look to continue their winning streak, hoping what happens in Vegas doesn't stay in Vegas. That's after the break. Stay with us. Be part of the BC Cancer Foundation's Beyond Belief campaign. 
BC is at a critical turning point in cancer research and care. With your help, the potential is beyond belief. Your gift will advance cancer care innovation and bring it to every British Columbian. Donate today at gobeyondbeliefbc.ca. Celebrate the season in Steveson Village. Head to Winter in the Village and take part in activities for the whole family, including holiday light displays, a visit with Santa, and lots more festive fun all month long from December 1st through 31st. Our BC is brought to you by Preventable and ICBC. Yellow lines don't look out for pedestrians in low light. You do. Let's keep it preventable. Okay, Barry's back. We just chatted about it. Great yeah. game, but unfortunately not the outcome Canada wanted. Yeah, maybe the World just Cup. a little inexperienced. Though. Yeah. They, they're, they're in a hard group, too. Yeah. Okay, let's face it. They maybe were in a different group, like Qatar's. Maybe they would still be in, but... Anyway, it has been fun so far. Thanks, Sarah. Canada did score its first ever World Cup goal, a stunning beauty from Alfonso Davies. But Canada is finding out at the highest level teams adjust. And the Croatians, who looked wobbly the first 25 minutes or so, slowly took over. And then their quality just carved up Canada's defense as they won 4-1, officially eliminating Canada from the knockout stage. It's a learning experience for this young group, which will also will all be in their mid-20s at the next World Cup, which just happens to be right here in Canada. And I will say this, they are so entertaining to watch, which at the World Cup often gets you in trouble. But Canada cannot be accused of dull play, which has been the case in a lot of games in Qatar. We can show you some limited highlights. Couldn't have started any better. 68 seconds in, Tejon Buchanan, perfect service for Alfonso Davies, who made about a 50-yard run to head that in. Fitting that the superstar scores Canada's first ever World Cup goal. But after about 30 minutes, Croatia took over. They adjusted. Canada did not. Croatia tied it, then took the lead on this strike from Karko Labaha. 2-1 at half, and they kept coming in the second half as well. Andre Kamaric with his second of the game. 4-1 final. Canada officially eliminated from advancing to the knockout stage. We got a chance to see that celebration, and we know you know people would have celebrated back home. But when that second goal went in, that was uh, that was a bit of a challenge before half time because we knew we had to come out and open up. And when you open up against Croatia, you know you're, you're going to be susceptible to transitions, and that's where we got caught tonight, right at the end. So, you know, proud of the lads. I thought there was just great effort. They just pushed and pushed and pushed. Um, and Croatia showed their quality. We'll learn from you know, these, these type of games, um, playing against these opponents. Every little detail really matters. Uh, I think we still know that we can play on this level, um, but it's just being a little bit more, more disciplined and, and sticking you know, to our tactics and, and what we're, we're, we're good at. Canada will play these guys, Morocco, on their final game on Thursday. A massive upset by the Moroccans today as they took out Belgium. Roman Seyss surprises Thibaut Courtois by going for goal instead of crossing it into the higher uh, part of the box. 1-0 Morocco, and then in stoppage time, Zakaria Abukalal smashes it to the top of the net. 2-0 the final. Morocco just needs a draw now versus Canada to advance to meaning Croatia or Belgium would be going home. And that would be a huge shock for either of those sides not to advance. Meanwhile, in Group E, Germany and Spain. Germans desperate for a result after losing their opener 2-1 to Japan. Spain opened the scoring. Alvaro Morata makes it 1-0 in the 62nd. But the Germans desperate to tie. Nicholas Fulkrug in the 83rd. That's a great goal. Germany stay alive. It's a one-all draw, but they must win their last game versus Costa Rica to have any chance of advancing. 
It's being reported today that MLS side Inter-Miami is on the verge of signing Lionel Messi to a contract for the upcoming season. David Beckham's Miami guaranteeing that Messi would be the highest paid player in MLS in the 9 to 10 million per season range. Messi's agent denies any negotiations have taken place. The Canucks played one of their best games of the year last night, dominating first place Vegas 5-1 for their fourth win in five games. It really does look like they've started to turn their fortunes around. But a win tonight in San Jose would be crucial to keep the momentum going and get within just one point of the last playoff spot in the West. Thatcher Demko starting needs a, a solid outing where Bruce Boudreau will be forced to run with Spencer Martin in net. Canucks get on the board first. Bo Horvat tees it up for Kyle Burrows. Hammers home the one-timer, his second of the year. Always a bonus to get a goal from the defense. He does have two more goals than Quinn Hughes, who still hasn't scored, but Quinn does have 20 assists. Meanwhile, Thatcher Demko, quiet first period until the Sharks have a flurry. Demko makes some solid saves. That is good for his confidence, which he needs to rebuild and kept the Canucks in the lead 1-0 after one. Second period, Logan Couture with the chance while shorthanded. Another sharp save by Demko. He's had a good fortune against the Sharks in the past, but in the final moments of the second, a very fluky one. The point shot deflected by Nick Bonino off the shoulder of Luke Cunnan and up and over. Cunnan gets credit, a fluky goal. It's 1-1 after two third period just about to begin. Davis Cup final from Spain, Canada taking on Australia. Denis Shapovalov won the opening singles match, so Felix Auger-Aliassime, a chance to make history if he can beat Alex Dimonor. First set, Felix, fantastic shot to get the break, backpedaling overhead. One of the toughest shots in tennis, but he is so athletic, he took the set 6-3. Early second, Felix applying the pressure again, and he will rip the inside-out forehand winner. And he gets the early break, so on the verge of winning the Davis Cup. Now, as he was about to win, the satellite transmission failed. Bad timing for nervous tennis fans, so he actually won it while no one in Canada could see it. But later on, we got to see match point right there, and Canada wins its first-ever Davis Cup championship, beating Australia. An historic moment for Canadian men's tennis, fully deserved. Uh, Bashuk Pospisil of Vancouver, also a huge part of Canada in the doubles portion. He wasn't needed today, but he will be celebrating tonight. Seahawks back at it after a bye week, hosting the Las Vegas Raiders. This was a wild game. Seahawks led 13-7, but the Raiders roar back. Josh Jacobs with a 30-yard scamper here to the end zone. 21-13, Las Vegas had the lead. The Seahawks respond, though. Geno Smith... Lays it in nicely for Tyler Lockett, a 35-yard touchdown, 24-20 Raiders at the half. But Seattle takes the lead early third. It's the rookie Kenneth Walker with his second touchdown of the game with a little help from his big friends. The O-line gets behind and just pushes him in. Perfectly legal in football, 14-yard touchdown, ninth TD of the season for Walker. 27-24 Seattle. Fourth quarter tied at 27. After the Hawks stop the Raiders on fourth down, Smith dumps it off to Travis Homer. Breaks a couple of tackles. He takes it in for the touchdown. Seahawks in good shape. Up seven with about five minutes to go, but the Raiders answer right back. Derek Carr, nice touch pass here to Foster Moreau for the touchdown. 34-34. We require overtime, and the Raiders... With that running back, Josh Jacobs will 
do it again. What a day he had. Explodes through the Seahawks line and then sprints 86 yards for the touchdown. 229 rushing yards on the day for Jacobs. Over 300 yards combined and two touchdowns. Raiders shocked the Hawks. Seattle now 6-5, and five, currently out of a playoff spot in the NFC. Meanwhile, the NFC West leading 49ers. Home to New Orleans. A low-scoring game and Niners got the only touchdown. Jimmy Garoppolo. Pass is tipped, but how about Jawan Jennings making the adjustment? 13-0 the final for the 49ers, so they now go to 7-4 and and are still first in the NFC West. Meanwhile, Rams and Chiefs from Kansas City. No Matthew Stafford for the defending Super Bowl champs who've had a horrible year. They uh, lost their eighth game of the season today. L.A. had no offense. Chiefs had some. Patrick Mahomes, 39 yards to Travis Kelsey. That combination Pretty unstoppable when they put their mind to it, 7-0. And then running back Isaiah Pacheco from three yards out as the Chiefs and the Rams. Another loss, 26-10. Western League this afternoon, Giants hosting the Western Conference-leading Portland Winterhawks, who are 17-2-2 to lead the West. But Samuel Hanzik with the steal shorthanded goes in, slides it home. And it's 2-1 Vancouver in front. And then a few minutes later, some insurance from Ty Thorpe, who will score on the wraparound, is second of the game. Big win by the Giants, 3-1 this afternoon over the first-place Portland Winterhawks. And last night, if you missed it, Connor Bedard put on a show for a sold-out crowd in Victoria. Scores his first of the night on the breakaway. And then second period shows those quick hands to stuff in his second and then completes the hat trick with yet another slick move. He had three goals and an assist. The Pats won 9-5. He's up to 22 goals and 53 points and a 23-game scoring streak. And the Connor Show continues Tuesday in Kelowna and Wednesday in Kamloops. But I think they're sold out. Wow, he's unstoppable. He really is. Yeah. He's quite amazing. He's making it look way easier than it is. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. Okay, Canucks highlights tonight. Yes, I love those. Sure. Okay, stay with us. We've got a real tearjerker after the break. Barry might cry. I love to cry. Okay, you're Phoenix, right? Welcome back. Okay, they shared a womb, but they did not share a hug until six decades later. These twin sisters were separated at birth. Take a look at this. One now lives in England, the other in Carolina in the United States. The sisters reconnected through a DNA test. They're now inseparable, they say, and they have lots of lost time to make up for. No doubt. What a great story. And a sad story. Yeah, after so long. (laughs) A lot of layers there, probably. A lot missed out on. Yvonne, quick look at weather before we go. Well, we got a few flurries tomorrow morning, but the big weather story and the heads up will be the potential for widespread snow. We'll be tracking it Tuesday, Wednesday, so a heads up. It starts to pick up as early as the afternoon on Tuesday. Okay, we'll be ready. That's all for us tonight. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you right back here at 11. Have a great evening.